the end, okay? This is week number three, and uh, we have covered a lot. The first week, we talked about Maranatha, which is looking forward to the coming of Jesus, which uh, is a really important thing to do. I think a lot of times is in our culture and, and as Americans, right, we don't really look forward to the end. We kind of really like how it is now. And so to, to be looking forward to the coming of Jesus where everything gets just basically obliterated and removed, for us, it's like, oh, maybe you could wait just a, just a couple more years. You know what I'm saying? I got some things working out. But, but Maranatha is looking forward to the coming of Jesus. Last week, we talked about judgment. We talked about heaven. We talked about our end times, okay? How many of you know that we are all going to have an end time, an end point, both in this life where we physically die, but also there's gonna be a moment where we stand at the judgment seat of Christ, all right, which is actually a, a good thing. Remember Bema, all right, where there's actually rewards that will be given out, crowns that are given out, uh, which kind of changes our mindset of what judgment seat of Christ actually is. Um, and then we talked about heaven, what heaven's going to look like. And then we also talked about the great white throne judgment, which is, uh, that's the final judgment. That's the one that uh, Christians will not be at. Thank Jesus. Okay? All right, literally, thank Jesus. So, um, but today we're, we're talking about revelations. And um, literally, we are going to talk about the entire book of Revelation. And so it's going to take about two hours, all right? So cancel your lunch plans, all right? We're just going to invite the 1115 people in midway and just be like, come on, just have a seat, because we're still talking about the book of Revelation. Now, it's going to take about 30 to 35 minutes, I promise you, okay? And, but what we're going to do is we're going to split up the book of Revelation into five sections, and we're just going to take some quick snapshots of what's going on. And uh, like we've said multiple times through this series, everything in the Word of God points to Jesus, Okay, and, and where we kind of get off base is sometimes where we read the Bible and we're not trying to see Jesus in it. That's one thing about eschatology, which is the study of the end times, that gets really strange. Okay, that's why a lot of times people that are extremely into eschatology, they're a little bit weird, all right? Because it's like, it's, it's intriguing. It's the same thing that, about like demons and things. Although there's truth to it and there's, there's validity in it, whenever you get wrapped up in it and you're extreme in it, it takes the focus off of the main point, which is Jesus, all right? And so we're gonna look at the book of Revelations through the lens today of the question is of who is Jesus in the book of Revelation? So every, every section that we look at, it's who is Jesus in these chapters? Who is Jesus in these chapters? Because that's really what matters, all right? You can read Revelation 20,000 times and study and study and study, and still at the end of it, you will not understand a lot of it. There's a lot of symbolism in it, a lot of things that represent something else, and so people are actually looking for dragons and beasts and all sorts of crazy things, and it's like, hey man, a lot of that is just symbolism, all right, okay? And so whenever we read it through those eyes, it's kind of like reading Genesis. It's written, written in like a poetic form. It, it kind of changes your view of the book, not that it's not real and truthful, but that it's written in a different way. We just want black and white, and some, come on, that we're going to read about uh, the, the author who is John. <clears throat> this is back in, in, you know, 62 years after Jesus rose again. I mean, what if in, his, in, his, uh, in the revelation and in the, in the metaphors and things that he was seeing, 
It was like a plane. I mean, how would you describe a plane or something like that back in the day? You wouldn't. You'd give a, a word picture or something towards it, all right? So we have to read the Bible sometimes through that lens and see these moments. And um, I mean, it wouldn't be a lot easier if it was just black and white straight up and we knew all the points. It would be but it's not that way. And so I wanted to throw that out there because a lot of times people think that we actually are going to know what's going on before it actually happens. And it's not true, all right? So the book of Revelations. Um, Let's go ahead and set up the book of Revelation, the kind of the who, what, when of it. And uh, like I said, the author was John. John is, is one of the only remaining disciples of Jesus Okay, and he had a special relationship with Jesus. He was very, very close to Jesus. And uh, so, so what happens is an emperor comes into power and says, basically, worship me, bow down to me as Lord and God. And John said, no, I'm not going to do that. So he gets ex- exiled out to the Isle of Patmos. Okay, so he's out there by himself. He ends up in a cave, and an angel comes to him and uh, basically says, hey, I got a lot of things I want to tell you about. And then he begins to tell John, and John sees things and hears things that uh, we can only dream of, okay? And so, like I said, it's about 62 years after Jesus is resurrected, about 95 AD, okay? And so uh, the letters were originally sent to the seven churches in Asia Minor, all right? And there were the seven main churches that were sent to, and, and actually you could read that in chapters two and three and, uh, and, and read the different things that were spoken. But... Today, like I said, we're going we're gonna to ask the question, the very important question of who is Jesus in Revelation? Because Revelation is really all about revealing Jesus. I kind of shared a couple weeks ago, uh, and if some of you weren't here, you know, um, when I was in private school, we had chapel every week, all right? And uh, chapel is always exciting and awkward because <laughs> it's a bunch of little kids, you know what I'm saying? Like five years old all the way up through senior, which is, you're just too cool when you're in high school to actually care about chapel, right? And so, um, so one of the staff pastors had this really cool idea to, uh, to just read the book of Revelation in chapel. It took like three weeks or something like that, I don't know. Horrible idea, horrible idea. But you know what, it was awesome. And it was, I mean, for me, I don't know, maybe it was the first time I'd really actually gone through the book of Revelation. I was probably, I don't know, ninth grade or something like that. And, um, and so it was really cool because really what it did for me is it encouraged my faith in Jesus. And so what I want to say today is that as we go through this and we answer this question, what's going to happen is for some of you, your fear of the end, your fear of all these big things, actually whenever you look through it, uh, through the lens properly of who Jesus is, your fear converts over to faith, okay? And you have more faith in who Jesus is. And uh, you're also very excited that you're on the right team, all right? That we're on Jesus' team, not our own, okay? Because it's gonna be really, really bad for those who are not on the right side. So uh, let's, let's kind of delve into this thing. The first section is chapter one through three. And what we're gonna see here is, is Jesus is the alpha and the omega. The, the, the overarching theme is, is Jesus is returning soon, okay? So verse seven and eight, look. I'm sorry, am I ringing? I'm ringing. Can you just like bring me down a little bit? Like the volume is just like, there it is. Do y'all hear that or is it just me? It's okay, you can answer me. I know I'm up here on the stage, but I'm still a human being. Okay, so yes, you're, no. Okay, thank you. But uh, verse seven, look, he who is coming with the clouds and every, uh, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be, amen. 
I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. So the first time that Jesus comes, it's, it's kind of in secret, all right? He's coming for his church. But then we see the second time that Jesus comes, he's coming with his church to rule and to reign, which is going to be extremely exciting. But Jesus is kind of setting some precedents here. He's like, I'm the Alpha and the Omega. I'm, like for us, it'd be A to Z. Alpha and Omega is the Greek alphabet. For us, it'd be like him saying, I'm the A to Z. I'm the big deal. I'm the all in all, the beginning and the end. It's all about me. I've got this thing. All right, Jesus is kind of setting himself up. Then we read in verse 14, his head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars, not literal stars like what we're thinking of, okay? It's just, again, it's symbolism here, guys, okay? But it's, it's actually, if you keep reading on, it's, a, it's about the churches that we were mentioning earlier. But, um, and out of his mouth came a sharp, double-edged sword. Again, it's not like a circus trick of some sort, all right? Literally pulling a sword out. No, it's the word of God. That's a double-edged sword. It's the word of God. Then it says, his face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I'm alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. You know, John was extremely fearful at this moment, and I kind of think Jesus did this just to kind of help him out a little bit, all right? He's so freaked out. Jesus is like, hey, it's okay. I've got this. By the way, I even, I even conquered death. I have the keys to hell, all right? Just kind, of, just kind of encouraging John, but I think at the same time encouraging us. So, so section one, Jesus is the alpha and the omega. Section number two, this is an important one. They're all important, but this one's, this one's got a lot of meaning to it. Who is Jesus in section two? Jesus is the lamb of God. All right, Revelations chapter four and five. And, and, the, and the theme is really Jesus is worthy to open the scroll. What does that mean? Well, if you read Revelation, which I would highly encourage you all to read the book of Revelation for yourself, okay? Uh, remember a couple weeks ago we said as we're gonna be going through these books, uh, this book, it would be good for you to read it because um, like we're skimming through it, okay? We're, we're, just, we're just skimming over it. But for you to sit down and really read verse by verse and see how these, these things play out, uh, you'll get a much better understanding. But you see this thing of the scroll, and really this is like the, the last will or the, the declaration of how everything is going to go down, okay? The scroll, very, very important. And there's seven seals on the scroll, and so um, what I want to do is I want to read, um, let's see, do we have chapters, uh, yeah, verse one through six. It says, then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. And he said, I wept and wept because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb 
looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. So we see this lamb moment. Now, if you think about the book of Exodus, you'll remember where uh, the, the, the angel of death was coming and it was coming through Egypt. And what had happened was um, uh, every person, every, every uh, Israelite at the time, God had spoken to them and said, hey, look, I want you to take the blood of a lamb and I want you to put it on the doorposts. And as long as you take that blood and you smear it on the doorposts, that when the angel of death comes, it's going to pass over your house. But if you didn't have the blood on the doorpost, the firstborn in each house would die. And so that's where we get the Passover from, okay, where the angel of death passes over. But you see this picture here of the blood of the lamb. Okay, then you fast forward to where you see when John the Baptist says, behold, the, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the earth. You see this, this theme through scripture where the lamb of God takes away the sin of the earth by the shedding of his blood. And we see this here where Jesus is that lamb. And that's very important because if Jesus wasn't the lamb, he was just some guy, there's no power in it. But because he's the lamb of God, he, he lived a sinless life. His blood is very, very important. And so therefore, he's, he's able to break the seven seals on the scroll. So we see 28 times in the book of Revelation, Jesus is called the Lamb of God. And again, every time, every time that you, uh, that, you, that you hear the Lamb of God, I want you to think about the Passover. I want you to think about the significance of that. It's not just like a little lamb. Okay? There's much more weight to it than just that. It's our hope. It's the plan of God. Okay? So that's section two. Section three. Who is Jesus in section three? Chapters six through 18. We're going to see that Jesus is the righteous judge. All right, he righteously judges the earth. And this is where it gets kind of crazy. Okay, chapter 6 through 18. This is where you're going to see 666 and, and the Antichrist and beasts and, and all kind of crazy stuff. And honestly, this is where a lot of people like to be. They like to stay here, man, because guess what? It's intriguing. It's exciting, you know? Um, oh, it's exciting if you're on the right side, okay? <laughs> it's not exciting if you're not. But I want to give you some quick highlights of these chapters, and if you want to write them down or take a picture on the screen, you can, just to kind of uh, go back and maybe research it on your own or, or kind of read through it. But uh, we're going to see the temple in Israel is rebuilt in Revelation 11. We're going to see the Antichrist or the beast rises and institutes the mark of the beast. Now, you're not going to see Antichrist in Revelation. Uh, really, you're going to see the beast Okay, that's what, that's what represents the Antichrist. And you can go to 1st, 2nd John, and you can see some moments where it talks about the Antichrist. But uh, so if you actually, like, Google Antichrist in Revelation or do a word search, you, you might not find it. Although you will find some very interesting clip art. <laughs> you will. Very interesting. It might be worth it. All of a sudden, everybody just kind of goes... <laughs> I'd like to see some of this. So uh, then we see the Antichrist is killed and raised to life. And then God appoints two witnesses to perform miracles and preach. And uh, the witnesses are murdered and then raised to life. And they also have some really cool party tricks in case you want to go and read. They do some really cool stuff. Um, you just have to go read that for yourself, all right? But uh, just take my word for it. I felt like reading Rainbow. Don't take my word for it. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, that wasn't in my notes. Uh, but then we see Antichrist. The Antichrist assassinates world leaders and moves toward a one-world government. Now some people are starting to get jacked up. Like, yeah, one-world government. Been reading about this. Uh, and some of you who are wrestling fans were thinking NWO and went a whole other direction with that one. But uh, <sighs> I'm sorry. Then we see Antichrist. The Antichrist is defeated at the Battle of Armageddon. And so again, those are some highlights. You can go back and look at those. A lot of symbolism, a lot of confusion, and also a lot of excitement, okay? But then we see the three judgments that Jesus righteously judges, okay? And, and so, like I said, in this section, we see Jesus is the righteous judge. So let's see what he righteously judges. And these are very intense. The first group of judgments we see is the seal judgments in Revelation 6 and then 8. This is where we're going to see the four riders of the apocalypse. The, the moon turns blood red. I mean, I think we just kind of saw that a few weeks ago. Again, you can see some really cool clip art if you, uh, if you Google blood, blood moon. <clears throat> anyway, the, the tremendous bloodshed from war. This is going to be a very violent time, okay? Uh, a quarter of the world dies from famine, plagues, and wild beasts. That is a lot of death, all right? I think we're gonna, we're gonna know whenever this right here is happening, but these are the sealed judgments. Then we see the second, which are the trumpet, the trumpet judgments, and this is in Revelation 8, 9, and also 11. This is where we see hail and fire mixed with blood falling from the sky. Uh, poisonous locust attack. Mm, those are creepy little creatures, and now they're poisonous. All right, so, but they're attacking. We see a third of the vegetation destroyed. A third of the sea animals die. A third of the water is contaminated. A third of the light is lost. And a third of the world is killed. Again, a lot of death, a lot of destruction. This is not a positive time. I think God will be out of here by that time, right? The bold judgments is the next one. This is where we see sores on people with the mark of the beast. Water turns to blood and everything in it dies. The sun scorches people. There's huge earthquakes that hit. And there's hailstorm with like a hundred pound hail falling. A hundred pound. I think we get really excited about what, like one pounders? Like softball size. We, I mean, what's his name? Jim Cantori. He's out there like, you won't believe the size of these hails. Look. I can hold it in my hand, you know? Then all of a sudden, 100 pounds, you know? This is going to be major destruction. And when I was reading this, I had this thought. You know, a lot of times as Christians, we, we say things like this. Well, if God would judge the earth like he used to back in the Old Testament, then people would really bow their knee. And people would really, then they'd know. Almost kind of spiteful. You know, like the judgment of Jesus is really going to bring people to repentance. But yet you go in chapter 16 and you read that even in the midst of all this, people are still cursing God and still shaking their fist at him. And when I saw that, it even more uh, illuminated to me the fact that the kindness of God brings people to repentance. This is a last resort. This isn't, this isn't like the main will of God. Remember we talked about the will of God first Wednesday a while back. The will of God actually is that, that none perish. And so when we read this, we actually should read this with a lot of gravity and a lot of, uh, well, it's unfortunate that it has to go down like this. 
But people choose this, this way and they, they force the hand of God to have to carry out these judgments. And uh, they're gonna be swift and they're gonna be severe. And um, I'm just glad that we're on the right side. Chapter 16, verse five. Then I heard the angel in charge of the water say, you are just in these judgments. You who are and who were the holy one because you have so judged. I have a feeling this scripture needed to be there for a lot of us because doesn't that feel a little bit unfair or harsh? Again, in our society and the way that we think and the way that we process, um, it's like this, this entitlement thing. Uh, last week I was in Long Beach and, and we, spoke, we were speaking about you know, the book of Revelation, of course, and, and, and I, I, I started talking about how you know, we, li- we live our own life, we live our own way, but somehow, some way, there still is this thing in our culture where heaven is the default place. I believe we probably spoke about that, like, you know, heaven being the default place here. But it, it's not the default place. But I think we kind of have this entitlement mentality in our culture and in the way that we think that we can act and do any old thing or act any old way, and yet it just works out in the end. It just, it's just gonna work out. Like this right here shouldn't happen because God is good, right? But, but we have to remember that God is just. And our justice system is different than his, okay? Remember last week we talked about how it's really not fair that Jesus had to, to die on a cross to pay for our sin. That doesn't make any sense. That's not just. But yet we're really excited about that. So we can't just be excited about the justice of God whenever it's convenient for us. I get that? So kind of take that and, and, and bring that into your, 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 your thought process in your life. Okay, don't live life in the old way and just think, ah, oh, it's just gonna work out. You know, young people, don't think, I got a lot of time to begin to live right for God, but for right now, this is my time. That's, <laughs> that's not right. That's not the way that God wants us to live, but uh, we can also see here where that will get us, that type of thinking. Let's not be entitled. Section three. Section four, who is Jesus in section four, chapters 19 and 20? This is where we see Jesus is the king of kings, all right? This is where Jesus is gonna return with his church. Verse 11, I saw heaven standing open and there before before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. Every good guy always has a white horse, am I right? I mean, you see the black horse, you're like, no, get out of here. White, white horse, yes. Reminds me of Lord of the Rings a little bit. It does. But anyway, with justice, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood. And his name is the word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has this name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. I am so glad 
I'm on this side. Am I right? I mean, dude, you read these scriptures and it's just like, ugh. Give me a spear or something, you know? There's war cry, you know? Take some war paint, just smear it on my face. Like, let's do this, you know? He's the king of kings and lord of lords. That means here's all the normal kings that we see and we feel their power, right? You, you, you see presidents and leaders of nations and they walk in and they're so, they're so confident. They're so confident. And you, you see... You know, over in the, the middle, middle East, these guys that are worshiped, I mean, they're a big deal. And then it's almost like Jesus is just kind of, he's kind of just sitting back and just letting them have their day in the glory, you know, like Nacho, they day in the glory. They want to see what it tastes like. <laughs> and Jesus is like, that's fine. That's fine. Have your day in the glory. But it's coming. I actually am the king of all of that. I'm the Lord over all of that. And so let's not, let's not lose heart. Let's not lose faith in what we see right now because it's very easy for, for that to happen. I was just going through Facebook last night and you know all the articles and the forwards and the poli- politics and the, the lack of morality and all that stuff just, just going by. And, and sometimes you just like want to vent a little bit. You know, it's, just, it's like, no, no, one day. You know what I'm saying? We're in the day of grace. One day, it's all gonna be, it's all gonna be laid out. And whether we believed or not, whether we thought this or not, none of that's gonna matter. Jesus is on a horse. King of kings on his thigh. It's gonna be a big, big day. The last section, section number five, chapters 21 and 22, is Jesus is the bridegroom. Jesus is the bridegroom. And we are the bride. The church is the bride. And this is really the theme of this is Jesus takes his bride to the heavenly city. Sounds like a really good story, right? Like a Disney movie, <laughs> you know? Chapter 21, 9 and 10. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Now the church, like I just said, is, it's us, right? We're the bride of Christ and, and we are going to live with Jesus in the new heaven and the new earth. And this is where, can I just be real with you? This is where all the ladies are so just excited. I'm the bride of Christ. You know what I mean, right? ladies just they sing those songs that are so lovey-dovey and they're just so this is so great and then us men are kind of like hold up (laughs) hold up a second I'm nobody's bride you know what I'm saying (laughs) I ain't no no bride I mean come on I mean I'm a high five you know what I'm saying there's a chest bump Mm. you know that's the way that I mean I'm gonna be honest with you guys that's sometimes it is like that right but I think we have to kind of take a moment men and we have to remove ourselves from again this world system and the way that things operate here on earth and how we always got to be the you know the big man and all this kind of stuff and realize that that at this moment man we ain't got to be any of that anymore Jesus has done it all and here we are he's taking us up with him and we're gonna rule and reign and and man let's be honest do whatever we're going to do in heaven. I mean, come on. I, we, we really don't understand everything that's been going on. But, but 
but we are the church. And the, and, and the Bible talks about how, how God really wants his bride, the church, to be spotless, to be pure. And he's looking for a spotless bride. And you know what? That's one of the reasons that we seek God and that we, we don't seek to live lives that are as close to the edge of sin, but yet okay. You know what I'm saying? We, we don't seek to live those lives because Jesus wants a pure bride. And so, so that's why we live our lives the way that we live them pure and spotless, and we want to be righteous before God. I mean, now, now again, we like to always balance out the fact that you can't try really hard to reach heaven, okay? We, we talked about that last week, and, and so just to kind of reiterate that, you're not qualified for heaven by how good you are, okay? All right, so I, I, in our day and age, a lot of people try really hard, and they try to live this Christian life without doing the first thing, which is bowing their knee before Jesus and, and just receiving the free gift of salvation, okay? And so you try really hard, you get frustrated, and you quit. We gotta come at this thing from the right angle, okay? We are made righteous through Jesus. But it's important the way that we live as well. But we see Jesus is the bridegroom. Revelation 21, 23. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light and the lamb is its lamp. So we see where the curse of sin is gone and, and we are living in the full glory of God. Now we talked about this again last week where, where you know Moses barely could catch a glimpse of God and then he like glowed and was forever changed by that moment. You know, we, see, we saw where Adam and Eve, they were with God and there was nothing, there was no gap. There was, no, uh, there was nothing between them. There was no curse of sin and they had full communion and fellowship with God. We see this here. The glory of God will be able to shine and we won't have any darkness in us. There's nothing separating us. There's no fear and all this kind of stuff. It's just, there's pure fellowship with God the way it was meant to be in the beginning. Verse 17, the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him who hears say, come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. And whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. This is salvation. Some of you are here today and, and you're kind of wondering if, like I just was kind of talking about, whether or not you're above the, the threshold or the standard of good to get God, right? The, the, above that standard, have I been good enough lately to be able to approach Jesus? And I just got a little small message for you. The spirit and the bride say, come. Come unto the throne of God as you are. Don't try to get all fixed up and a better person in order to come to Jesus. That's not the way that this thing works. Jesus is looking at you and he's like, hey look, I, I know about your past, I know all these things, there's nothing that's secret from me, okay? I know all of that, but I still love you and I want you come to me. Because the door is open. We are in the, in the time of grace where, where Jesus has shed his blood, now we have this free gift of salvation. That's where we live right now. So the door is still open. Jesus is still saying, come unto me. All who are, are weary and tired and broken down, I'm gonna give you rest. Revelation 22, 20 through 21. This is how it wraps up. He who testifies to these things says, this is Jesus, yes, I am coming soon. Amen, come Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. 
So Jesus is like coming soon. So the whole thing wraps up with this Maranatha mindset. I'm coming soon. And then John's like, yes, God, come on. And I think that's where we're at. Come, Lord Jesus. Okay, because whenever you read the book of Revelation through the lens of who Jesus is, you're not fearful, but your faith is increased. Your joy is increased. And all the things that we deal with right now become very, very small. And we realize that they're temporary, that the things, the way that they are in your life right now is not how they will remain forever. Maybe in this life, but not in the future. And it's very important that we live life like that, guys. We are in a culture where temporary rules everything. Many of you right now are not really even totally dialed in right here because you're thinking about the football game at noon. You know what I'm saying? You're, you're thinking about what we're doing tomorrow. You're thinking about all these other things because we're so in, I mean, we're trapped by this life and our jobs and everything that's going on. And it's very, very easy for us to, to look at all this as kind of fake or kind of imaginary or kind of, eh, and look at what we're doing right now as the real thing. And it's actually the opposite. What we're doing right now is just the temporary. What we're doing right now is the steps to get to what really matters. And it's, 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 it's difficult to do that, but whenever we read chapters like this through the lens of who Jesus is, it builds up that in your life and it makes the real things that matter really matter. And that's the things that are eternal. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for you guys. Lord, I thank you for your goodness today. God, I thank you that we live in your grace, that we live in your mercy. God, we thank you for Jesus. We really thank you for Jesus. God, we thank you for sending your son to this earth to die for us. God, to give us a way out, Father, to open up heaven to us. God, people, Gentiles, Father, people who are separate from you, God, that you open up your kingdom to us. God, we are grateful for that. And Father, we want to live a life that, that just gives you glory in everything that we do. God, I pray for every person in this room. Father, for those of us who have been fearful about how things will end, God, I pray that you would in encourage us, Father. Encourage our faith, Jesus. Build up our faith to believe fully in you, Jesus. Not to have fear and doubt and unbelief. But God, for the things that we don't understand, Jesus, that you would give us grace. For some of you in this room right now, you don't really know God. You know that you're far from him. You know that you're not on the right team right now. Your life doesn't support that, that you've that you really made a decision to follow Jesus. Your life isn't supporting that. You know that. You feel conviction, which is really just the Holy Spirit nudging you and saying, hey, you need to stop this. You need, you need, you need to change. And I just want to give an opportunity for you to just say yes, to say yes to the Holy Spirit. And this is all I'm going to ask you to do. I'm not going to ask you to come to the front. I'm not going to embarrass you or do anything like that. But I just want you right now, if you feel like Jesus is calling you, that you hear him saying, come as you are, and you want to respond to that right now, I just want to pray with you. And if you wouldn't mind just raising your hand just so I can see who you are. A couple down here. One over here. Who else? Another one over here. Another one over here. The door is open. Jesus is there. 
and he's just saying, come. Anybody else? Just want to pray with you. What I'm going to do right now is I'm going to say a prayer. And I want you to just agree with this prayer. Can I be honest with you? Because you raised your hand, Jesus already sees your heart. He already, he already knows. And I believe that there was already a change in your, in, in your heart. But I'm just going to lead you in a prayer. So come on, agree with me. Jesus, I come before you right now. And God, I thank you for the blood that was shed for me. God, I thank you that the curse of sin has no power over me because of Jesus. And right now, I receive that free gift of salvation. God, I want to live a life that glorifies you. I want to live a life that pleases you. God, I want to be on the right team. Father, I'm sick of living life by myself and and trying really hard to be really good. I'm sick of that. And God, I'm ready for you to do what I couldn't. God, would you redeem my heart, redeem my life, make it worth something, Jesus. Forgive me of my sin. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, can we give it up for those who gave their life to God today? If you just made that decision, let me be the first to say congratulations. The decision to follow Christ is just the beginning of your relationship with God. So we'd love to help you with your next steps. If you'll go to northwood.tv connect and fill out the online information card, our lead pastor, Van DeCote, wants to send you a letter that tells you some more steps to take that'll help you maintain your new relationship with God. We're one church in multiple locations. We have a campus in Gulfport, Wiggins, and in Long Beach, Mississippi. If you live in one of these areas, we'd love to see you at one of our services. You can visit our website, northwood.tv, for service times and locations. If you'd like to give to this ministry, you can do that online as well. Just go to northwood.tv give or simply text the amount you'd like to give to 228-215-3421. Again, that's 228-215-3421. Standard data rates and text charges may apply. Thanks again for joining us today. We'll see you next time.